It's an emotional call. I feel terrible for her. I had tears in my eyes. Bring it on. I, you know, I've got it. I'm comfortable. I'm confident. Even if it's something I haven't seen before, I know what I'm going to do. Dang, what a ride. Like, I feel like yeah. that 30 minutes, we really achieved something. <laughs> I feel a lot better. Welcome to Medic Mindset. I'm Ginger Locke. In this episode, I talk to a medic who has been in the field for over a decade. After a very long talk with him in his home, I know without a doubt that if I needed EMS to care for me or my family, I'd hope he'd walk through the door. He and his wife welcome me into their home where they pump me full of coffee. And you'll hear his son come in and out of the episode, and that's not an accident. That's a core piece of this guest's character. His family is very important to him. He and his wife offered me a cozy den and unlimited time to poke around in his brain. And what came out is tremendously valuable. This episode is one I'd suggest you listen to more than once. Because every time I've listened, I find something new to ponder. We start with me calling him to the mat about something he said on social media. There was a thread on Facebook where... You made a comment that the job is, to you, pretty easy. Mm-hmm. Can you say more about that? I willingly entered that conversation because it's something I've said plenty of times before. And it's something I, even though I I expect and I know that not everybody agrees with me, I stand by the statement. When I first got into this job, I thought, it was a very hard job. And what I realized after being in this job for a little while is I just wasn't comfortable yet. And now that I'm very comfortable in what I do, when I look back general broad picture of what it is we do as paramedics, this is easy. Mm-hmm. Our operationally and medicine and that's all easy stuff to me. The mm-hmm. hard part of the job is the emotional and the mental aspect of the job. That's the only place that I feel like it actually gets uh, tricky or difficult. Mm-hmm. You know, I've, I've been in EMS a little over a decade now, and when I go to a call, no matter what the call is, I know exactly what I will be doing, can be doing with the tools I have. And I have no hesitations or doubts or s- any fear of any of it. Now, when you add into that equation emotions and stress, that's when things can get a little hard to handle. Do you remember at what year it transitioned for you from feeling like a novice amateur, like this is hard, to, okay, what you're saying now, there's nothing I'm going to walk into that I haven't considered, seen before, mentally prepared for, or intellectually can't handle? I thought that was around year two, if I'm being honest with myself where I fully feel comfortable. It's, I, I think it takes you a good five years to really go, bring it on. I, you know, I've got it. I'm comfortable. I'm confident. Even if it's something I haven't seen before, I know what I'm going to do. You know, and I've learned, I've figured out how to adapt and uh, adjust on the fly because of my five years of doing that leading up to this point. So. so I ask a question of new medics is what's the ca- call that you dread? And dread is a terrible word. Mm-hmm. Um, what's the call that you mentally prepare for? You rehearse it in your mind. You're 
you know you're going to be challenged. Do you have any of those calls? At some point in my career, there was a shift, as, as strange as it sounds. I was like most other people who, you know, when you hear some GSW come out or bad car wreck, it kind of gets you a little excited, a little adrenaline pumping, you know, and you're like, this is what I signed up for. This is what I went to school for. I wanted to see these sort of these things. And then there was a shift in me at some point where I don't want to see that stuff, you know? And uh, I dread seeing mutilated bodies is what I hate. I, 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 I dread the death of people. Um, I don't like uh, giving that news to the family. I don't like um, seeing their reactions. Um, or if it's, you know, like a traumatic thing. I don't like seeing human bodies tore apart, you know, and I think I'm kind of in the same, or I was in the same boat as most younger medics where that stuff kind of was like, you know, everybody kind of liked the gore and stuff like that. And, but at some point there was just a transition in me where I see that stuff. And I'm like, I could have done without seeing that. Right. You know, and, I uh, know. I don't like that. Now, obviously now that I have a, a young son as well, I really don't want to go on one of those calls. I could do without that ever happening. For example, not too many shifts ago, uh, ran a call on an individual who was torn apart after striking a, a tree at a very high rate of speed. I think younger me would have been like, dang, that was pretty crazy, you know? And But older me is like, that's gross. Mm-hmm. I don't want to see a human yeah. like that. I don't know. My, my perspective on that has definitely changed. So, Yeah, same here. A transition point for me, for sure, was when I had a kid I with think pediatrics. That's what did it. Yeah, our students do rotations at a pediatric uh, hospital. We occasionally will go and check on them there. And I can say, in the past, when I've gone, I've wanted to like tell me about the case. I wanted to know the medicine. Let's talk about what's going on with this kid. And I wanted to observe how the family was responding to the kid's illness. And I just wanted to know it. I wanted to get close to it and know it. Yeah. And now, <laughs> when I go, I don't even want to look in the room. Yeah. I just don't want to pi- pile it on. Yeah, I don't even find myself interested in those conversations of, you know, we we had this call one time. I don't even find myself uh, interested in those conversations anymore just because, I don't know, I just, I don't, you know, the, the, those calls end up being the things that nightmares are made of, you know? And I, I, I just, if you start talking about that in front of me, I'm going to be Rolodexing in my head of those types of calls I've run. And I don't want to relive all those all over again because yeah. I've, you know, kind of worked hard to put those away. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Where are you going with all this? I know that you are going back to school to get your master's in healthcare administration. Mm-hmm. You have a bachelor's in business? Yes. Where's your career going? Two-part answer. I strongly believe in education. I also strongly believe that our profession has become very stagnant in education, and I wanted to really practice what I preach there. And I, and I also feel like that if, if people in our education tend to further themselves, it always seems to be kind of one-dimensional. They keep, you know, oh, I'm going back to school. And if you say, what for? You could almost say, wait, 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 let me guess, nursing. And they're like, yeah, we're more than that. And I'm not, and that's not to say that's a bad thing by by any means because if that's what you want to do then do it but more than half of the time 
they respond with something along the lines of, yeah, I don't really want to be a nurse, but it just seems like the easiest transition. And I'm like, that's not the reason to do it, you know? And so business really interested me. It's very applicable to what I want to do in this profession, which is, you know, I'm a, I'm an officer now at where I work, but I want, they like to be a leader of a, maybe an EMS department. So I got my business degree, learned a lot, but I also felt like there was a lot left to be learned as far as healthcare specifics mm-hmm. are concerned. So I started looking for uh, master's programs in healthcare administration, healthcare management, something like that. Um, because I, I, I just feel if I'm to achieve a goal that I want, it can't just be about me. So say I come to your EMS, you worked for such and such EMS department, and, it, and I just really wanted to go lead that place. And I show up, what does that do for you if I show up there and I just haven't done the due, due diligence of educating myself the best of my ability to best prepare myself for that job? I'm failing you and I'm failing, uh, you know, I'd be failing myself just because I was so gung-ho about that goal, but I didn't properly prepare myself for when I get there. I want to comment on that. So many of our leaders have gotten into leadership roles just simply by being, and it's not simple. I shouldn't simplify it. They've been model employees, put a lot into their department, know a lot about the department, Mm -hmm. um, worked hard, established rapport with, with everyone within the department and they rise up and they have no formal training on how to lead. And when they fail as managers, it's so obvious to me. It's like, well, why would they be good at that? Where would they have picked up those skill sets other than watching a role model? And that role model also probably wasn't formally trained in how to manage people or resources. I applaud you for getting the formal education. That's what our leaders need. There's my little boy naked. (laughs) (laughs) Good thing this is audio only. (laughs) Yeah. I want to talk about him a little bit because what I'm noticing is that you appear to be balancing career aspirations with family life. Is that, is, are you? Yeah, I, 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 I feel like I am. I wasn't. I mean, I think it's an acquired skill. I had to learn to manage my time. So towards the end of my bachelor's degree is where I learned to properly manage work extracurriculars at work, going to school and family time. So I'm about to enter my master's feeling like I've got that down pretty well. What modifications did you make? What kind of hints can you give to people? Because a lot of people listening to this are paramedic students while simultaneously working. They're juggling a lot of stuff. Yeah. Well, you and I kind of talked about it earlier a little bit in, in reference to downsizing your lifestyle in general. You have to be disciplined and make the necessary adjustments in your life in order to have the proper balance. It used to be whenever I would look at EMS services, one of the questions I, was, I would always ask to recruiters is, how much overtime y'all got available? Because I'm going to pick that overtime up. It became quite obvious to me that life's not about overtime. It's about creating a life for yourself where you can exist off of the, or not just exist, but do well and thrive off of the, off of the base salary. Because overtime takes more time away from your family, and it can lead to burnout. So I made the necessary adjustment to where I didn't have to work so much overtime. I didn't have to have a second job or a business, and I got rid of those. That's what it boils down to. If you decide that you need more family time, you need to be dedicated in that commitment 
and and just do it. You need to make the adjustments. They're hard. I know firsthand they're hard, but you got to do it. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, your personal life will suffer. Right. Or your mental health. Yes. Because you'll burn the candle at both ends. Yes. And that is, to anybody listening, that is a extremely true statement. Burning the candle at both ends. When I was... When I was young in EMS, I was also young as a person, and I didn't believe in that because I had so much energy, and I could, I could stay up all night on 48s, you know, and and then go to a side job or or then go to school, but uh, that wears on you. Well, I want to switch gears a little bit. Why do you think that you've had success and that you continue to enjoy the job? Because a lot of people quit finding pleasure there and leave it, right? Yeah, I. Uh, these questions you're asking me today, they're great questions because they're all questions I've spent so much time thinking about to myself in my head, or I've had a conversation about it with other people. That question in particular is a question that has come up a lot. You appear very happy in the career. You want to stay in EMS. You don't want to jump ship. How'd you get to that spot? I've accepted EMS is what it is. I still wake up every morning happy that I'm going to work. Now, obviously, I'd much rather be home with my family, but we all got to work. I'm happy that it's there, you know, and and not someplace else or doing something different, I guess you could say. I still enjoy the job. And I think it's because, you know, and I still, if I want to pick up an overtime shift, maybe some extra vacation money or something like that, I got no issue with it. I think it's because I have accepted the job for what it is. I had high hopes and expectations of the types of calls I would be going on. And I feel like it was painted a, a different way. I don't know if that was school or uh, the movies or just society in general. It was maybe painted a different way. And then when I got into it, noticed it really wasn't like that. I think that really, really bugs some people and it really turns them sour and bitter. And I think I've just accepted it for what it is. You know, I mean, it's not STEMIs and gunshot victims and cardiac arrest all day long it's a lot of uh of the opposite you know and uh i enjoy i just i enjoy talking to people i don't know i i i feel like because i've become at peace with the job is why i'm i'm happy here at the end of the day it's just a job Mm -hmm. it's really all it is my life isn't being a paramedic i go to work i do a job I try to do that job really well, and I come home. Mm-hmm. I'm just happy it's that job. And, you know, even if somebody calls me for some chronic complaint, you know, maybe at first when the tones go off and I hear that, I'm like, really? You know, it's really easy just to set yourself straight and go, you could be doing something you really don't enjoy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, oh, this, yeah. this is going to take you like 45 minutes or an hour. Mm-hmm. Like, get over yourself. You're describing how this idea that it, the job is different than the way it's understood like on a mass level i've called that the ems bait and switch you're you said maybe it happened at school and you're absolutely right it does happen at school so our curriculum is built on the 10 percent. it's built on teaching and assessing how people can handle medical emergencies Mm -hmm. we spend very little time on the softer skills or the non-urgent complaints yeah so there's a mismatch there and i think it does lead to burnout i think some people have a hard time getting over that which I'm not particularly sure why, because I couldn't imagine if if it was the other way around. If 90% of my job was running <laughs> STEMIs and cardiac arrest, 
I would just be done at some point. Like, all right, I'm, this is already, you know, I mean, adrenaline dump 24 hours straight. Yeah. You know, I am more than happy and thankful for the, uh, the mundane, you yep, know? I do. Uh, so. What characteristics, let's say you're a hiring committee of one and you could list the top three things you're looking for in a paramedic. Can you think of things that really make or break somebody? Yeah, that's a that's a hard question. That's always the uh, if I ever get that on an interview, I'm always like, man, that's a hard question. When you think of the model paramedic, who's that person? The ideal paramedic, I think, is I know drive is a vague word, but is such an important characteristic. You have to have the drive to better yourself. I work with somebody right now, and I'll and I'll get back to the other. Uh, characteristics, but uh, I work with somebody right now who he's done this a couple of times and I, I admire this about him. We run a call and he's been a medic for a little while. I think he's four or five years maybe. We've run a couple of calls where the end diagnosis is something he doesn't know a lot about. He has said out loud, well, I got some reading to do when I get back and we'll come back to the station I'm kind of a busy body, so I'll be walking around and, you know, walk by his room a couple times, always look in, make sure he's still breathing, you know, <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and I see him in there and, and he's researching it. Yeah. And I'm like, good for you. You know, I mean, a lot of people at that stage would be like, huh, never heard of that. That's weird. And uh, kind of move <laughs> on, you know, but he's like, I know what that is. I just don't know a ton about it. Here I come Wikipedia, you know, yeah. or here I come Google. And, uh, that takes drive, a want to better yourself. And you got to because, you know, our field's ever changing. And they're just, we go to school, we learn a lot in school, but you can't teach us everything. So drive, that's important. This is, this is healthcare. This is, this is people's lives. So I know integrity is such a commonly used answer, but it really is extremely important. You have somebody's life in your hands. You have to be filled with integrity. You have to do the right thing. And if you don't do the right thing, you have to have the integrity to also self-report. I think you have to be compassionate. Mm -hmm. um, I completely disregard the teaching of don't show emotion. And I know not everybody teaches this, but it is taught in, in some places, you know, be very blunt in your um, announcements to family about bad news. Mm -hmm. I, I completely disagree with that. I'm not an emotional person, but I'd be lying if I ever told you I haven't shed a tear while telling somebody that their 16-year-old son who hung himself is dead. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm, I'm just simply not going to walk up to that mother and give her the blunt answer, sorry for your loss, maybe a pat on the shoulder, and walk away from her. I'm going to walk up. It's an emotional call. I feel terrible for her. I had tears in my eyes. I gave her a hug. Show, show them you're human. If it upsets you, show them. I guarantee you they appreciate that. Yeah. Their loved one meant something to you. Mm -hmm. You have to have compassion, you know, empathy, compassion. And you have to be willing to show it. Heck, the rest, I mean, that's a good foundation. The rest could be learned. <laughs> so, As you were talking, I was thinking, oh, man, the, the question I wish I'd ask, what paramedic would you want to walk into your house, right? 
and this is going to sound arrogant, sorry, but I want me walking in mm-hmm. or someone like me because I feel like I got a lot of drive. I feel like I know what I'm doing and I'm going to be compassionate with you and I'm going to be empathetic. You're going to definitely feel like you have a, a real caring human being walk through that door, um, treating you or your family member and that I absolutely am trying my hardest. I feel like we're telling paramedic students a lot in this conversation when you thought about this this interview, are there concepts you want to communicate to them? There's certainly things I wish I could tell younger me. I know I am not a 20-year medic or a 25-year medic. Take what I say with a grain of salt, being you know, 11 years on an ambulance, but I still feel like that's a, a good amount of time. But longevity is really important. You absolutely need to take care of yourself mentally, physically, find an EMS service that will take care of you. Your search for an EMS service should not be about, do you have the latest and greatest equipment? Do you have a lot of overtime available? Now, yes, equipment is important, but I was the recruiter for a little while, and I, and I felt like I got asked a lot of questions that I really wanted to tell the candidate. That's not an important thing to me, I mean, everybody's list of priorities is different. Yes, our ambulances are nice. Yes, our equipment's nice. But more importantly, we're going to take care of you. You're going to be told, uh, and not necessarily by your instructors, but like maybe maybe your classmates will say something along the lines of, I didn't get in this to get rich. Mm-hmm. Well, no, we're not going to get rich, but you certainly didn't get in this to be poor. Right. Um, after all, if you don't have a family now, you probably will one day. And you need to take care of them and you need to take care of yourself and you don't need to just completely tear yourself apart doing it. When you become a paramedic, you have value and make sure you're being compensated appropriately for that value. I think everybody now, most EMS services offer uh, medical benefits and some form of retirement. If I could change one thing about multiple things, but one of the things about younger me is I would have gotten into a secondary retirement quicker. You guys need to do that. You need to get into a secondary retirement quicker. You you need to have a, a proper work-life balance, except that uh, EMS isn't code three returns 24-7. Prepare yourself for a lot of mental health and psychiatric interactions with the public, because you're going to see that a lot. And you need to take care of you. You do come first. We are here to serve the patients, the general, uh, the public, but absolutely you and your family come before anything else. And that's my advice. Put you first. And I don't mean that in a selfish way. You, ha- you have to take care of you. Otherwise, everything else suffers. Talk to people who in the field who actually work for that service or that hospital system, wherever you choose to go. You need to learn their experiences first before you decide to pl- apply for somebody. You were saying that you're not a 20-year medic so you can't speak fully about longevity the way i look at an 11 year medic is analogous to they say that you if you can run a 5k or a half marathon you can run a marathon if you can work for 11 years you clearly have the attributes to make it to 20 years right you've developed those skills there's a lot of stuff coming out about mental and physical health i feel like it's it was like Maybe it's always been there, but I felt like it was really, really predominant last year, the huge push for it. That's when I heard so much about it. I'm completely it. with you on that. We're really talking about this now. Yes. You know, and, and, and it really did used to be, uh, 
what'd you expect when you got into this job type yep. of thing? And, and I was that person when I was, you know, a little bit younger, I was that person. And what do you mean you were that person? Which person? I was the person, you know, kind of suck it up, buttercup. This yeah. is what this job's all about. You knew that, you know, getting into it. That's you you signed up follow, for this. That's why I wanted to follow up with you about the, this, the job is easy. I was curious. That's, a, that's one sentence. I wanted to know the whole context in which you were saying that. That's what I was saying earlier about the mental and the emotional part is where it gets harder. And to me, that's the only hard part um, is the yeah. mental, mental and emotional part of it. That's the only time it gets difficult. But I'm hearing from you. If you do it long enough, there is a little fallout. Like I told you, I'm an open book. I'm going to be completely honest with you during this podcast. I have no issues telling you or your listeners I have sought help plenty of times. I have had my demons. What I didn't do was allow for them to stick around. I've gone the counseling. You know, uh, you have to be willing to admit you need that. And that is not at all a weakness. I feel like when you run a call on a father and son that have both drowned and the mother is screaming in the background that this is all I have, this is my life, literally saying those words, and you keep hearing that in your nightmares, I feel like you can't ignore that. You have to go speak to somebody about that. I think the mood towards seeking help has changed to where it used to be you were soft. I think now people will applaud you for it, right. for admitting, not not admitting because that makes it sound bad, just acknowledging you need some help. We are humans. Even the strongest person, I felt like I was a really strong person, can only take so much bad stuff back to back to back because I feel like I'm in a good place mentally. You uh, appear it. How have you gotten there? And you're explaining it very well, that you're doing the maintenance work. Yeah, you have to work on it. Right. In the same way that you would, if your back's hurting, Mm -hmm. you go figure out the physical therapy to strengthen your back. Same thing with mental health. If you're having the nightmares, you go address it, and then you're done. Just like you would go for a run to keep up your your cardio, you got to go see that mental health specialist. They are good at it. That is their job. Mm -hmm. They're experts in their field. And... If you go see somebody, you're. This is something I've learned. You go see somebody, you're not meshing with them. Go right. go a different person. Right. Um. You need to find somebody that you mesh with, that you can speak with, and you feel like they get you. I have a colleague who is of the what you might call old school mindset. He's like, what's what's up with it? Why is everybody talking about PTSD? What's this? He worked in the field for at least a decade. And he's like, I didn't feel any of those effects. And they just weren't cut for the job. Like the, the classic, like cliche talk. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, that kind of talk still exists. That's dangerous. Well, here's the piece that's, it's not laughable. It, it's actually quite serious. He has intense anxiety. And so one day I said to him, I said, hey, do you think there's any possibility that your anxiety is somewhat connected to the fact that you were in EMS for a decade? Like, mm-hmm. do you do you connect those two dots? I medicated for anxiety. I never, I never had this before. Mm-hmm. This profession, yeah. Um, I absolutely attribute it to this job, and I don't want to paint myself as somebody who's got all these fears or anything like that because I don't. I just, it's just, it just made you realize and, and more concerned about things you probably would have never thought of. That, say, more, say more about that. Do you mean like driving a car, drownings, things like that? A lot of things. Yeah, I mean, 
like I, I told you earlier about that patient mm-hmm. who uh, got tore apart in that car wreck. For the two days after that, nobody was allowed to drive me around in a car. I had to be in control of that vehicle. Yeah. And, I, and I just couldn't help it. I was very, very anxious and nervous about that. It was gone after two days. But other than that, I mean, just this is a general fear of, uh, I don't want to lose somebody, you know, and uh, I don't want to be in the situation that, uh, that I see other people in. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to have these health problems that I see other people have. And I, I have a certain anxiety uh, towards that. Um, I would have never made a rule that whenever the light turns green, you wait five seconds before you, and you look both ways before you go through the intersection. Yeah. No matter how many times someone honks at you from behind, I would just be like, green light, here I go. You know, and <laughs> right. uh, it definitely changes things about you. And I wouldn't, I, mean, I don't think that's a bad thing to learn to pause at a nope. red light. But uh, yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm certainly not trying to convey that I have all these uh, fears or that I'm, you know, anything, cause, cause I don't, I just, I, I don't, I just, like I told you, I'm just trying to be completely honest and open with you and tell you everything. And mm-hmm. uh, I think that kind of mindset of just not cut for the job is, is a dangerous mindset. Same here. Saying that has so many, so, saying that out loud has so many implications. Somebody might hear you like a student, see something that troubles them and remember that you said that. And because of that, not seek help. You might've done damage to somebody, you know, and, I think that's dangerous talk. I relate to everything you're saying so fully. Just to get my boots back on the ground, I joined this search and rescue group. We were doing a search for a young girl who was out playing in her yard. Actually, in the yard um, would flood because there's a nearby creek during floodings that happen here in Central Texas. And she was out with her brother. They both kind of got swept away, swept under. He managed to get out, but she was lost for a while and so we were searching for her hoping her hoping she had been swept downstream um we were going to find her clinging to a tree or something and uh, we ended up finding her basically right where they had started finding her body i remember them the some of the leaders saying okay we're about to pull her out like we've, we've located the body uh, literally they manually found her with their hands underwater mm-hmm. anybody that wants to turn around turn around and i thought i don't need to turn around i've seen you were talking about dismemberment and i've seen the gore yeah I was like, I'm good. And uh, I wish I turned around. Like, that was dumb. Like, I had the opportunity to not have to engage that image. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I didn't. I didn't. Where I'm going with the story is that about a month later, I'd taken my daughter to see my sister. And we were, they were dragging her on a tube behind a pontoon. And she's a great swimmer. She had on a life jacket. No worries. Well, this tube submarined under the water. And it created like this vortex of water. And it held her under before she popped up with the life jacket and it felt like an eternity i truly became a mess i got back on the boat and just sat still and i didn't want her to see it my daughter to see that i'd become such a mess yeah and i didn't want my sister to see it um i I don't think they did i I truly just covered it Mm -hmm. i didn't even want to know that about me yeah (laughs) yeah that stuff it um, it changes those little experiences I think some people would be like, yeah, she's under, like she's going to pop back up. Like, I think yeah. they'd be more relaxed about it. I know what now, like this is graphic, but I know what it looks like to pull out similarly aged girl from the water. Yeah. And it's like my mind just, it's amazing how fast your brain can go. It just went there like so quick. I was already at the end of it and we're pulling her body out. 
I 100% relate to that. I have a vision in my head of dead, pale kids in this in the Sid's age. Oh my God! Walking into his room in the morning if he wasn't up yet, it's silly because I fearing that I was about to see my kid that way when really I should have been <laughs> all right slept in I got to sleep <laughs> in you know and uh you know I too have had the kid pulled out of the water that's the one I was talking about earlier about the kid and his father and uh you know the worst part about that call was is he was right at the boat dock he was right there mm-hmm. um and I think we were searching a little bit further out uh, I wasn't in the water, but I think we were searching a little bit farther out, but he was right in front of us. That wouldn't have changed anything. I mean, uh, the end result would have been the same, but this whole time he was like right at our feet, Yeah, you know? And uh, I think that's the, actually that's an important piece because that's how tragic it is because that's why you pause at the stoplight because you realize like it's these little near misses, like the, especially with trauma. Yeah. It's fragile. I hats off to anybody who is a search and rescue diver. Uh, Texas doesn't have clear water. And so you're down there with your hands and all of a sudden something pops up in front of you. And like I tell the the people who do the search and rescues, I'm like, that's the stuff nightmares are made out of, man. You know, and because literally you're just swimming along feeling with your hands and face can pop up in front of you. Yeah, I know. You know, and and, and they're like, yeah, it is a nightmare. We have a nightmare about it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, certainly you're on to something there with... uh, attributing something you see on a call to everyday life mm-hmm. that's typically just an over like an overreaction M- at least yes. mine were what's your favorite kind of call to run my favorite call if i'm being 100 percent honest with uh-huh. you it's <laughs> <laughs> if I, okay if i have to go and it ha- something has to happen to you i wish it's a single vehicle non-injury <laughs> accident those are my favorites because usually i show up and a lot of times it's all giggles you know and mm-hmm. we I, I can just like i can make you laugh or something you know and yeah. we can uh that's yeah, a good thing you know and mm-hmm. so but definitely the most interesting types of calls just those real real in-depth i'm not a big fan of trauma it's just so uh I don't feel like your brain is being utilized to its fullest during mm-hmm. those, you know, I mean, on a on a complex medical call, but there's just a lot more involved. And it's really cool to see the, the treatments reverse something mm-hmm. or change something. Yeah. <laughs> you know, what comes to mind as you're describing that is like a severe allergic reaction. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, man, you visibly get to see it clear up right in front of you. If you're real aggressive on top of a, a bad CHF or, mm-hmm. and uh, they really take to the treatment. Yeah. That's all. That's, that's, I, th- I find that to be very interesting. The, uh, the amount of which you can turn them around by the mm-hmm. time you get to the, the ER, you know, definitely the look on the patient's face, like, dang, what a ride. Like, I feel like, yeah, that 30 minutes, we really achieved something. <laughs> I feel a lot better, you know, and so those, those are cool. Yeah. But what about you? What was your favorite topical? Well, this is going to reveal a little bit about myself because it's not in the best, the, the patient's best interest. I really liked STEMIs. Yeah. Where I worked was an hour away from a cath lab. I liked the ticking clock and 
racing time. It was always surreal to tell people, I need to let you know, you're having a heart attack. Right. Yeah, I got a good, I have a line I always use on that one. What is it? Uh, it's always, you know, I run the 12 lead. I read it. My partner reads it. We give each other the, mm-hmm. I look over to the patient and I just, I tell them very calmly, sir or ma'am, uh, it appears you're having a heart attack, but I promise you, I'm going to do everything to take care of you. We're going to get you to the hospital. They're going to, we're going to take you to the cath lab and I'll explain to them on the way to the hospital what happens. But, you know, I'll tell them, John, I got you. Mm-hmm. I'm going to take care of you. I don't believe that's given false hope by saying, John, I got you. I'm going to take care of you because I mean it. I'm going to yeah. take care of you. Even if this goes south, I'm still going to be taking care of you. Mm-hmm. So you're having a heart attack, but I'm going to take care of you. Yeah. And, you know, they kind of give that look like, let's do this. You right, know, because like, they often already know. Yeah. They feel so terrible. It doesn't surprise them when you give them that info. Yeah. Always gave it a little preface. Like, um, man, I need to let you know. This is not good. Right? We're going to take care of you, but you're ill. Yeah. It, you know, and I always can add a little, like, if I don't feel like they're grasping what that means, mm-hmm. like, your heart is your heart's sick. But most of the time in my experience, they kind of get it heart attack's bad you know Mm -hmm. but if they don't i feel like i need to inform them so they're taking this or so they know what to expect the seriousness of this Mm -hmm. let's let's wind it down because we're going to balance your family and podcast time today all (laughs) right thanks for letting me come to your house thanks for letting me get to know you yeah i wanted you to come out here just so you could get to know me a little more i'm so glad i did it's kind of like in EMS, how quickly we get to know our patients by seeing what how they hang out at home. Yeah, it's uh, people ask me how I like my new house. I'm like, I've been in thousands of houses, I feel like. And they're just those houses that feel comfortable. Yep. And this one, to me, feels comfortable. I'm very comfortable right now. Yeah, I like this house. <laughs> so. Cool. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Um, I, don't, I, I don't have... I'm you don't not, have a sign-off? No, no. Create one for me, quick. Medic mindset out. One last thing before you go. The guests on this show come with one intention. They all tell me they hope the listeners can relate to what they say and that their words can normalize the experiences for other medics. Their intentions are 100% altruistic. And I know this because their only gain is an occasional medic mindset sticker or some other medic mindset swag. There is one other payoff for them, and that is messages from you guys. If you want to leave a message of gratitude or have a follow-up question for a guest, post it in the Medic Mindset group on Facebook. All right, that's it for now. Y'all take care. Yes. That's your daddy. All right. Ready to go with Mama again? No. No? (laughs) Ever. You got to go back over with Mama. No.